Well, he said everybody could sit down, and then he told me to stand back up. So here we are. Do me a favor, if you would. Take the hand of the person next to you, whether you like them or not. And let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we come to you today because really there's nowhere else to go. We need hope, we need healing, we need help. And that's all found in you. And Father, I pray this morning that the distractions of life, the stuff that we brought in here with us, would fall away. And that we would stand in awe of you. Of your greatness, but also of your grace. Of the fact that the one who spoke everything into existence, the creator of all things, also whispers our name. And Lord, that you love us as we are. Completely without condition. And Lord, I pray today that you would remove me from the equation because you and I both know I'll mess this up. But instead, that your Holy Spirit would speak, that we would hear, and most importantly, that we would walk in whatever you reveal. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I am not formerly of Confederate Railroad. But I am formerly a pastor, a youth pastor, an itinerant preacher for over 20 years. Somebody say he doesn't look that old. <laughs> I have had the opportunity to pastor several churches, to preach all over the United States, to preach in Ireland, to preach in El Salvador, Mexico. I've had the opportunity to stand before the state senate bring the morning devotion and prayer, and then to meet with senators and congressmen afterwards who would go on to in the future call me for spiritual advice. I knew judges, I knew politicians, I knew some of the biggest names in the Southern Baptist Convention stood on the same platforms with them. I looked perfect and polished. Perfect family, perfect image of what a pastor preacher should be. Well-connected, very quote-unquote successful. And I want you to know that I've learned, as the Apostle Paul says, that I count all those things as loss, as nothing, for the sake of knowing Christ. I've learned that all of the stuff and all of the accomplishments don't mean anything if you are faking it to make it, if you are wearing a mask. Because the truth is, although well-intentioned and extremely good at what I did, and if you didn't believe me, just ask me. Very arrogant, very self-absorbed. On the outside, seemingly successful, having it all together, godly. On the inside, coming apart. Because what happened is the pressures of ministry, the stuff of life, the busyness of going. At one time, I was pastoring a church that was growing, going through a building program. I was serving on uh, committees within the association, head of the executive committee of the association, moderator of the association, serving as chairman of the executive board, the Georgia, not chairman, but serving on the executive board of the Georgia Baptist Convention, serving on the Public Affairs Committee of the Georgia Baptist Convention, speaking in churches, pastoring at the same time, 
and wearing out quick. You say, why would you do all these things? Why would you attempt to juggle all of that? I'm going to give you a very simple explanation. It is not an excuse, but it is an explanation. And that explanation is expectation. Because there was an expectation of everybody around me, of the people that I pastored, of the denomination that I served, of all these things. This is what you do. This is how you're supposed to look. But the reality is I was stressed out, giving out, and coming apart. I had stood boldly in the pulpit, as any good Baptist preacher would, and preached against the sins of alcohol. I was a complete teetotaler. I took pride in the fact that I avoided temptation. Just so you know, when Proverbs says, pride comes before a fall, you know what that means? Pride comes before a fall. A unguarded strength is a double weakness. I had become ten foot tall and bulletproof in my own mind. But what was happening underneath was I was beginning to hide and to escape and to drink. It's not easy to balance that. It's not easy to pretend that everything's okay when inside your world is coming apart. To fast forward and just get to the point of where things ended up, I went from being polished and seemingly okay to becoming a functional alcoholic. Passed out face down in the front yard while my children looked through the window. The perfect pastor had fallen, and I mean hard. One of the things that prevented me from dealing with my stuff is the culture that's created in Christianity that expects people to get it right. When you live in that culture, you are afraid to admit, I'm tired. I'm struggling. I have issues. I have stuff. And just so we're clear, this room is full of stuff even this morning. Whether we want to admit it or not. But we have been programmed and trained to act like it's okay. Number one response you hear from anybody when we say, how are you doing? What's the number one thing you hear? You tell me. Good? Okay. Fine is typically the number one thing. Fine typically means I'm coming unhinged, but I don't want you to know that. So through that process, I eventually got to the point where I no longer cared what anybody thought. I no longer cared what my preacher friends and people and anybody thought. And so I entered into a recovery ministry. And during that process, experienced God in a way literally that I never had. I found out that He knew everything. And He loved me anyway. Now what do you do with that? Because you and I both know we've had a lot of people to love us until they got to know us. Well, maybe y'all haven't, but I have. Because we keep them at a distance. I found out that if the wheels come off the wagon and you stop and surrender, you find out that God knows the whole thing and He says, I love you just as you are. Brennan Manning says, that He loves you just as you are, not as you should be, because none of us 
are as we should be. And if you think you are, <laughs> you're not. So I found this place that God used incredibly in my life, and things began to turn and change. I learned the tools of recovery. I learned that there were people who, even though they would know all that, would love me anyways. One of them's here this morning. Patrick was one of my mentors at Hope Quest, and I've told him several times that he kept me sane because I didn't want to be there. You know why? Because I was still struggling with pride. I'm better than these people I'm in here with. God began to break and crush me in an incredible way. And then it was a journey, and it wasn't an easy one, and it wasn't a pretty one. And guess what? This is going to shock you. I still didn't get it right. There were still times I messed up. You see, I've, I've met pastors, I've been in places church-wise that claim, come as you are. But a lot of times what they really mean is, come as you are, we'll help you get it right, and then don't you dare mess up again. The only problem with that is there's nothing biblical in that concept. It's an ongoing thing. The Apostle Paul said, the things that I should do, I don't. Things that I ought to do, I don't do those. It's a struggle in the journey. That doesn't excuse the sin and the stuff that we do, but the reality is at some point the church has got to become a hospital for, a hurt, for the hurting rather than a place for the perfect. I should be safer in a church more than anywhere else to say, here's my struggle. And rather than people go, well, what's he thinking? Or I can't believe he did that. Come around each other and hug and hurt and hope together that there's a way out. Because there is. One of the things that put me in the position I was in is I was resistant to the grace of God. You see, I knew how to do all the works. I knew how to do everything possible to try to make God happy, to make Him pleased with me. What I didn't know how to do was to surrender and accept the fact that He loves me anyways. To accept the fact that I'll never be good enough because He does love me as I am right now. To move away from this whole idea of we have to constantly do in order to make Him happy. In Ephesians, Paul said, it's by grace you are saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's not of works. You know why? Lest anyone should boast. Our intentions are good, but the outcome is wrong. Because number one, we begin to think how good we are at what we do. And number two, we wear ourselves out because we're not willing to throw ourselves on to the grace and love of God. Patrick that I mentioned, if you can't find him, he's wearing a Tennessee tie as he should be. I know I just lost a lot of you right there. That's okay. Um, Patrick is faithful to send out a text every morning to the guys that went through this ministry early. 
He thinks he's waking people up. He and I have had the talk. I'm up way before that text hits. But he'll send a text with a verse of Scripture, some type of encouraging words about it. And just this past week, uh, Psalm 18 was one of the ones that he sent. And in Psalm 18, in the second part of verse 19, it says, He rescued me because He delighted in me. After David paints a picture of how amazing God is and how powerful God is, and he talks about crying out to Him. It says, He rescued me. Listen to this very carefully because this is worth coming for. Because He delighted in me. You need to know something this morning. God delights in you. God is happy with you. God loves you. Regardless of what anybody is saying to you, or how they are judging you, or what they expect from you, if you can get beyond those circumstances and realize that the God of the universe is happy with you, it'll change things. You'll quit worrying about what people think. You'll quit worrying about what the expectations are because you'll realize that your Heavenly Father loves you even when you goof up. He loves you anyways. It was hard for me to understand that. I had preached Galatians 2.20 I don't know how many times. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I had talked about dying to self and dying to the flesh, but I had never made it to verse 21 to understand where Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. The word literally talks about to limit and to, to, to constrain the grace of God. Because you and I struggle, and y'all don't, but I struggle with, with being able to be accepted. And it's okay. It's why we put on our mask, because we're concerned of what people think. I would typically be wearing a suit, but that's a mask for me. If I put that on, I'll act different. I have on khakis. That's a mask for me. I'm a blue jeans guy. There are things that we do to portray an image that we want people to see so that they'll think everything is fine. By the grace of God, you need to understand this morning that no matter what your stuff is, no matter what your struggle is, no matter how far you've gone, you haven't surprised Him. And He still loves you. The more that, that I'm around people on this side of my life now that, that my stuff is out there, it, it went out through a book not too long ago. It went out on radio way all over the place not too long ago, which will bless you. And everybody knows, so I'm free now. I can talk and I can be who I am. And as that happens, I, I encounter people and I find out that our pews and even our pulpits are struggling with the same thing. It may not be alcohol, but listen, let me, let me give you some recovery lesson this morning. The question is not, are you addicted? The question is, what are you addicted to? You say, well, I'm not addicted. Anything that you use to escape somehow, some way, you're coping. If you're coping, you're struggling with addiction. It may be shopping. 
It may be television, it may be entertainment, it can even be books, it can be whatever pulls you away from dealing with life. Because if you and I really deal with life and hit it face on, it's going to get a little scary. And when it gets scary and we realize we can't control it, then you got to surrender because there's only one who can. And we have to let go in order for that to happen. We don't like letting go. I know that I didn't. I still don't. I struggle with that. We're going to look very quickly, and I sincerely mean that usually quickly when a preacher says it 30 minutes, but I'm being honest. Galatians chapter 5. If I say to you, fallen from grace, what do you think of? You think of somebody like me. He fell from grace. I want you to know when we do that, we take it out of context. And I want you to see that this morning because there's not a one of us who haven't or are not possibly right now fallen from grace. Paul's writing to the church at Galatia. And just to put this in context, when you read Paul's letters, you find out that, that he is speaking to the church. And the way they did it historically is somebody would get up and read this thing publicly. Now, if you look closely at some of the stuff Paul said, you don't want to be sitting in the crowd when he says it. He would call people out. He would use names. And he would also say things that were, were not necessarily appropriate. I mentioned in Philippians where he says, I count all things as lost. He says as dung. I don't have to interpret dung in the Greek for you, do I? He says things that are, that are controversial and a little shaky, and, and we think, as my buddy Steve Brown would say, I don't believe I would have said that. This is one of those letters. In the beginning parts of Galatians, he is beginning to deal with them on the fact that they have left their freedom and they are going back into bondage, the bondage of legalism. It's gotten so bad that in chapter 2 it says, I withstood Peter to the face. That means Paul and Peter got into it a little bit. Hard to imagine church people getting into it, isn't it? But he said, I withstood him to the face. And he confronted Peter on the fact that Peter had begun to do the same things that the Judaizers were doing, which is putting all these rules and regulations on the Galatians when they were free. He was moving back into the do's and the don'ts. And Paul argued with him about that. In chapter 3, he says, you foolish Galatians. Now that's not nice. Tell the truth. If your pastor called you foolish, there'd be an issue. But Paul said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who, who has pulled the wool over your eyes to make you think that, that you're no longer under grace? You now have to go back into this whole circumcision thing is really the issue he's dealing with because they're teaching them, if you're the real deal, if you're really saved, if you're really a believer, you have to be circumcised. It's almost like saying, if you're the real deal, there's a certain way you have to dress. There's a certain music you have to listen to. There's a certain Bible translation you should use. There are certain things you have to do if you're the real deal. Now, I know we don't struggle with any of that in our culture, but they did back then. So he gets to chapter 5, and this is what he says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you of all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Let's stop there just for a minute. Did you get that? You who are trying to be justified by the law, meaning what? The works, the do's and the don'ts. You have fallen away from grace. You're no longer resting in the finished work of Christ. You're no longer resting in the limitless love of the Father. You are now, once again, performing to try to be good enough. That is fallen from grace. And my contention is this morning, that speaks of most of us. Because we're trying. We're trying to be good. We're trying to make God happy. Paul said, if you're doing that, you've fallen from grace. And and let me tell you, when, when you're in that state, you're tired. You're frustrated. You may even be irritable. You're not going to believe this, but in over two decades of ministry, I have run into some irritable people in the church. (laughs) I have run into some of the meanest people I've ever met in my entire life in churches. You know why? Because they're exhausted. They're trying so hard. If you want to expose the ones that are performing because they want to be seen of men and all that stuff, don't put their name in the bulletin when they do whatever it is they did. If they served wherever or whatever, if you take it out, you'll hear about it. Why do we do what we do? Are we falling back into into works and away from grace? Manly Beasley said that Baptists are the only people that believe in salvation by grace and sanctification by works. We'll trust God to save us and then we'll work ourselves to death trying to stay that way. Paul says you have fallen from grace if that is your condition. In verse 5 he says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, listen to this, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I don't know if you noticed in those last two verses, he mentioned the big three, faith, hope, and love. And when he mentions faith, he says that we're waiting by faith. It's an expectation. It's because we're having to walk according to something that we can't see yet. We're waiting. I'll give you another Manly Beasley quote. Faith is acting as if a thing is so when it's not so in order for it to be so because God said it so. If you're taking notes, I may have just lost you. It's walking according to what God has said, not according to our circumstances. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about right here. We eagerly await by faith. We're hoping for. You know why he says that? We're not there yet. It's a process. It's a journey. Paul himself said, I have not yet attained 
I've not arrived. The minute that you and I think we've arrived, trouble is coming. There is a storm brewing, trust me. But when we can stay humble, and even if I say the word helpless, it's going to make your pride twinge a little bit. But helpless before God. Admitting that we are desperate and hungry and hopeless without Him. We struggle with that because in order for that to happen, we have to take our hands off the control of anything. Those who have fallen away from grace bear certain characteristics. I'll mention them in just a minute. Let's fast forward down to the end of this because I want you to see this. In verse 12, Paul begins to use some language that's a little troubling. He says, as for those agitators, and he's talking about the ones who are laying on the rules on them, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Now, I'm not going to explain that verse to you. I'm going to let Brett do it. If you want to know what that really means, you ask him. But Paul just said something really ugly. Because he's talking about circumcision, and he says, I wish they just finished the whole thing. That's Paul. Don't miss this. We, we have made Christianity so comfortable and we have such etiquette that, that if Paul were to stand here and say the things that he wrote in this letter, we would be offended, we would throw him back, he would not come back, and it would kill the love offering. But either it's true or it's not. Even the Lord Jesus Christ said some things that would disturb you if you really look at what he's saying. I began to study the life of Christ years ago and it changed a lot of things for me. Because I realized that He went places we wouldn't go. He said things we wouldn't say. He did things we wouldn't do. He hung out with people that we wouldn't be seen with. I found Him to be very controversial. We would not welcome Him in a lot of places today. But He's the real Jesus. The real Jesus would like a lot of people that you don't like. Paul followed that real Jesus. And it came forth in statements like this. Because do you know who was more adamant against legalism and works than anybody in Scripture? The Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He had issues with the Pharisees. He would even call them names. Paul is following suit. And he had been one. Paul used to be a Pharisee. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, the most elite tribe ever. Paul had every accomplishment that we would hold up and say, look at what he's done. And yet now he is railing against those same things because he knows where it's leading. And he's trying to help the Galatians to get free of this. But he brings something into balance here which I don't want you to miss. Because a lot of people can take things like my story and things that they hear and go the wrong way with it. Well, if I'm free, then I'm free to do whatever. Yes but you're not free from your consequences. I deal with them all the time. Now I can say that by the grace of God I have learned that when Scripture teaches He gives beauty for ashes, you need to know that He does. When He says, I will scatter your sin as far as the east is to the west, listen to me, He does. He whom the Son sets free, Brett mentioned it earlier, is free indeed. You can be. 
It's a tough, tough process. But every bit of pain and embarrassment and humiliation is so worth the glory that comes from the grace and the forgiveness that God gives. The process is going to hurt, but the healing is going to be amazing. Paul says, even though you're free, in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. That's a characteristic of those who claim to be followers of Christ. When you come to the realization of grace and you get out from underneath the fear and terror of works and do's and don'ts and law, there's a humility that comes with that. And you start to learn how to love people. Because you know who loves best? The one that was loved most. I saw a lot of people go by the wayside when I went through what I went through. Because they didn't want to be associated with me. But I watched God bring a lot of people into my life who knew the whole thing and loved me anyways. And when that happens, when the church begins to do that, we become Christ in the flesh to others. We become tangible. But we've got to learn to love without condition. We've got to learn to love those that make us uncomfortable. We've got to learn to quit working ourselves to death, trying to be so good and so godly and so perfect, when the reality is a lot of times what we're doing, we're doing for the wrong reason anyways. We've fallen from grace. I'm going to give you five characteristics of signs that you may have fallen from grace. And I want you to think about these. And here's what I don't want you to do. Don't think about somebody else. I'm not talking about them. God's talking to us. We're real good at pointing out other people's stuff. Because we can always find somebody who's worse off than we are. <laughs> See? That's not our standard. Allow this to, to sink in. And be willing to say, as the psalmist said, search me and know me. Number one, you are, quote, fine and faking it. You are faking it to make it. You're fine. Every answer you give is fine. Fine. The reason you're that way is because you're worried about what others will think. You're trying to meet expectations. Number two, you're frustrated and discontent. A characteristic of somebody who is frustrated and discontent is that they complain a lot. I'm going to give you a biblical truth that may hack you off this morning. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Where'd my amens go? Do all things. You know what that word all means in the Greek? Oh, there you go. Everything without grumbling and complaining, but if we are grumbling and complaining a lot, 
It's because we're frustrated and discontent. You know why? We've fallen away from grace and we're trying to do it ourselves. We're not resting and relying on Him. Number three, you are distracted and escape. For a lot of us, the opportunity to be quiet and still, to do exactly what God says, be still and know that I am God, is a struggle. You know why? Would you get quiet? All the stuff gets loud. And those things that you've been trying to push to the side that you don't want to deal with, they're right there. And so immediately, what do we do? We find something to distract and to allow us to escape. It's hard for you to be present if you are distracted and escape. You know what? If you're present with somebody and in a conversation, you have to engage. When you have to engage, you got to get real. I, I still flinch a little bit in talking to people about my story. Brett and I had lunch a couple of weeks ago, and there's that part of me that goes, oh man, <laughs> do I really want to say this? But I do. Because the freedom is incredible. Number four, you are quick to judge others. Now, I know y'all don't struggle with this. You are quick to judge others and to justify yourself. Well, I don't think that they should. Who cares? Well, what they should have doesn't matter. And then when we're confronted with stuff, we have excuses galore. We can justify ourselves so quickly. You know what would, would take away some of the frustration and chaos is if we got to the point where we would quit sitting in judgment of others and we would quit justifying ourselves and we would do what I learned about in recovery, which is own it. Do you know that it's okay to say, my bad, without saying anything else? If you say, well... I did this, but leave the butt alone. Just be willing to own your junk and not have to explain it. A person who doesn't have to explain themselves is a person who is relying upon the justice, mercy, forgiveness, and grace of God. Fifth, you're worried, stressed, or fearful. Now, I'm positive y'all don't struggle with this. Worried, stressful, fearful. Well, it's just my nature. I can't help but worry. Yeah, you can. You know what Jesus said? Be anxious for nothing. You know what that word nothing means in the Greek? Yeah, you're still with me. Okay, good. How is it we can condemn the big sins that people commit and carry on with sins of stress and fear and doubt and worry as if it's okay? There's an awful lot of sins we never repent of that we not only continue to commit, we condone usually with the words, bless their heart. So what's the next thing you do after you realize that you've fallen from grace? Let me ask it to you this way. What's the next thing you do when you realize that you've fallen? Get up. 
you get up. But here's the reality, whether we're talking about recovery, whether we're talking about whatever sin you may struggle with, whatever stuff, would you realize you find that you have fallen, you've fallen away from grace, you've crashed, now what do you do? You get up. The only way to get up, and this sounds cliche, but it's true, the only way to get up is to give up. All you got to do is pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't recommend that. Because then you're still in control and you're going to make it and you're going to get this taken care of. No, you're not. You can't fix anything. But He can fix everything. Why is it we move so far away from without me you can do nothing and with me all things are possible? He told us that. And yet we avoid it at all costs. So if you find this morning that you're one of those that fits into that category of having fallen away from grace, next thing you do is get up. The way to get up is to give up. You give up by finally turning loose. In the struggle of recovery, people always say you have to hit bottom, and that is so true. What they don't tell you is there are several levels of that bottom. Because just about the time you think, well, this is it, I'm there. No, you're not. There's more coming. And it's going to hurt. And it's going to be rough. For me personally, I love the tools of recovery, AA, all that stuff. They, are, they have been very helpful for me. But for me, it took a moment where things snapped. Where I literally was done. I gave up. And God said, okay. I don't care how hopeless and horrible your circumstances are this morning. You are not beyond dramatic radical change. You are not beyond the grip of His grace. You are not beyond a love that goes beyond the limits of the mess that you've made. You say... Preacher, if I admit this, do you realize what the consequences are going to be? Yes, I do. Because I've been there, and I want you to hear me carefully. It's worth it. You may be here this morning, and your struggle is that you have somebody in your life who's dealing with stuff, addiction, whatever it may be, and it's tearing your world apart. There's hope. It ain't over. It may hurt right now, but if you'll hold on, you'll find that the promises that He gives are true. It may not seem like it right now. And you say, I'm tired of it. I don't even know if I believe this stuff anymore. I understand. I have been there. I've questioned everything. Trust me. And all I can tell you is, I've seen Him work. I've seen Him move. And I've seen him do the impossible. And he'll do that for you. You know why? Because he delights in you. Let's stand together. Let me pray for you.
as we close the service out today, there'll be a time, as always, of response, of invitation. And whether your need is that you don't really know Christ and you want to, the pastor or myself, either one, whoever would be glad to talk to you about that. You may be here this morning and you say, my wheels are coming off the wagon. Would somebody pray with me? Yes. Whatever your need may be, you respond to God as He leads. But don't leave here just going through another religious routine. Respond to God. Let's pray. Father, You know the hearts and minds of every person in this room today, and that right there ought to scare us because we haven't hidden anything from You. We are exposed whether we realize it or not. But what's really amazing is You love us anyways. You love us so much that You'll walk down a road, embrace us. No matter how bad we've messed it up, You'll strike up the band, You'll have a party for the prodigal like we've never imagined. Now God, we wouldn't do it that way, but You do. And so today, Father, I pray that You would give freedom to those who struggle. God, that You would release them from the prison of the stuff that keeps them down. I pray for those who maybe they don't have some addiction in their life, but the reality is they're bitter. They're frustrated. They're discontent. They're judgmental. They're complaining. They're worried. All of these things, Father, keep us from experiencing Your grace. So for those who have fallen away, may we come back to experience the embrace of our Abba Father, our Daddy, who loves us so much. God, move in this time, in these closing moments, according to your will and your way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.